Hello everyone. This episode is a part two of the conversation between Lojo, Katie Arrington, and Kevin Fagey. I highly suggest you go back and listen to the previous episode to get the whole conversation. If you've already given that part a listen, enjoy part two. Yeah, Kevin, I think one of the I think one of the things that you just hit on the head is when we look at innovation, cybersecurity, uh, as well as some of the efforts you're talking about as far as that, you know, really the, the digital engineering and components there, as well as the mixture of venture capital, what you have is not only some of the, the process and, um, you know, organizational type issues and stuff that's there, it's the culture, right, of that. Your venture capital community have a different driver than just national defense, right? They're a different driver than just supporting the warfighter. At the end of the day, they're venture capital. There's investors that's involved in that. Some investors we know very well as U.S. you know as U.S. citizens or as U.S. folks. Others we don't, as far as in the private investors and stuff too, and as well as the ghost investors within that. So when you look at industry and all of that and how companies also capitalize to innovate. Right. There are many different funding measures and funding approaches that they're using to do innovation, as well as the supply chain component downstream as well, where you have a mixture of suppliers. For instance, if you look at a battery and you dissect that, um, where are they getting the raw materials for the battery? Right. Where's the actual software that's actually maybe controlling the battery and stuff and those components? You know, it's there. And then when you say, OK, innovate and now integrate cybersecurity, there may be a conflict of interest there. There could be. Uh, some other you know things that are playing there that don't allow them to capitalize in the way that they want to with that product, that don't allow them to use it as a dual use product or so in the future there, right? And then in addition to that, again, cybersecurity and those components, when you look at how do you secure your organization and the supply chain for that, it's not just some money that's, that's separate in the supply chain. Now there is capital interest and stuff too that's in there that can help and that can drive decisions as well as slow down even the pace and which you guys were wanting to move as well with CMMC and other things. My background was working. Oh, well, I knew. Go ahead. Go ahead, Katie. No, 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 your background, Lojo. Go ahead. Yeah. So my background was in helping companies with both the cyber supply chain component of these things, right? So as you guys were working and, and putting out the different uh, instructions and all the components about what's going on, I was working with companies and C-suites and stuff too, as far as uh, what do they respond to? What's the reaction to it? As well as working with other companies, councils and stuff too. And I can tell you, and Katie and I talked about this on another uh, podcast, one of the biggest slowdowns was internal councils. Uh, uh, what were their actual uh, uh, positions on what was being sent or what was being required and stuff from that. In some cases, it was very much so a uninformed approach that was being used on that. And how will this affect our company? How will this affect what we do on this? How will this affect cost accounting and stuff too for us uh, between the CapEx planning and stuff too within a contract versus a OpEx component of it, right? Is this new? We're going to be sustaining an existing you know, program, but modernizing within the same program. So how do we account for those costs and stuff too from there? And so when we started looking at those things and some of the, the the pushback and the grinding halts and stuff that we see there, it wasn't necessarily about all the times, you know, hey, technically, can they do that? Yeah. But what did that look like in the dollars and cents of that? And that was what was kind of grinding there, whereas they were unsure or in some cases just did not have the interest to try to go in that direction, just wanted stuff to stay kind of the same because they knew what they knew what to expect. Right. That's what we found a lot of times. And that was what we had to work through from a consulting standpoint 
uh, a lot of times was that aspect, which I think you guys saw very clearly when you started getting things like the NDIA responses and stuff from there, right? The NDIA responses were show only maybe just a small little bit of what was going on in the background of those companies and organizations that were having those little bit of uh, those, uh, you know, those hesitations or those questions that was there. And that's what we saw from, uh, so, from that. Go ahead. So what I would say, like, let's just take, uh, you know, there, there are multiple things that you just said that I could go off on different tangents, right? Um, first and foremost, you know, how do we get products and capability in the Department of Defense that are innovative that we need at the time of relevance, but also have dual use? And, and to do that, right, you have to have capital and partners that are willing to invest in that, that capability. At the same time, the Department of Defense is looking and, and, and using that. You need to have capital partners investing to create the dual use capability of that to reduce the cost so that those companies can conform to the pricing models that the DOD expects. So that's, you know, we had a, a, a something called Trusted Capital. It was a program that we set up to do that with coaches and mentors, you know, within the department. Um, we spent time and energy sending acquisition people, right, professionals in, in uniform to work at um, venture capital firms so that they could understand how to package the deals to, to get it to do use. So that, that is in the DOD. It's just buried so far that companies sometimes can't get to it, right? Um, as, as far as getting and I, I've said this before, the, the boo-boo that the government made in 2015 was that when that first original DFAR rule came into play on the 171 and how to implement it, there was never a cost associated with it. So, but I can't reverse time. And, and the industry's been stuck on that since we rolled out CMMC. Like, how do we pay for this? And we showed in the first iteration of CMMC how, how you could build it into rates. We went to OIRA. Um, we went to OMB, we said, this is how much the cost is. I think where we are right now with the CMMC and, and, and how to do that, right, how to help the cost and the CapEx on this is, you know, CMMC, okay, you, industry has obviously said the 170, you know, the 110 controls are too much right now, which I disagree, but okay, got to go somewhere. What are the top 20 controls in the, in, in the NIST 171 that we believe are going to be the most effective to secure a small business. Let's just say small business across the board. What are those and how much does it cost to implement those at a small business level? And go ahead, Kevin. No, go ahead, keep going. And what is already paid for in rate, right? Because there's gotta be stuff already in there that you're doing today to, to provide security. And then what would it look like to get the rest? And this is back to, you know, episode one, episode two, and episode three, right? I firmly believe the Fred ramp reciprocity. I believe in, you know, if you have an ISO certification and, and you're doing those things, we need to take that into account in, in your, your cyber analysis. But if you're doing 15 of those 20, whoever decides what those 20 are, the one-time grant from the government, which I firmly, you know, stood for and I, I believe in to give us, you know, that so that companies can get it right. But then the programs need to be made aware of how much money industry really needs in that program to get it right. And those open conversations need to happen, right? And that's hard in acquisition 
because you're not supposed to talk about the bids and the proposals, right? But costing is a real thing. And and we're still in this like this area, right? Wouldn't one of the areas I believe that we could solve this problem for a lot of small businesses is for the large primes to develop cloud environments where the smalls go in to work on that particular program. And they're given a laptop and they're given and then all of the the risk that they that they would have to build into costing is is taken off and the prime can build it into the rate that they give to the to they submit to the government. That's one way to do it. But the, what we're missing and and I I sound like I'm beating a dead horse is I need industry. Industry needs to want to get right for the right reasons. And getting right for the DOD isn't the right reason, right? If if small business A isn't doing what they can do today to get, you know, dual use capability, if they're not doing the best they are to protect their own IP and their own PII and their own PHI within their companies, right? Who is going to do it for them? And we're in, a, we're, we're in a fine line right now where NSA wants to come in and say, oh, well, we can do it for you. You don't want to do that. You're, you know, the U.S. capital markets are required that companies do this on their own. But how can government help you get there? I think we, we, have, we have more to do. I think, you know, that, that there were some good thoughts and, and, you know, capabilities that came out of Project Spectrum. I don't think it went where it needed to go. Is it? And this is the conversations that we're missing, right? Is it a one-time lump sum? And, and we talked about this before, when we went from DICAP to RMF, where you got X amount of money for consulting. Is it that the primes need to build these cloud instantiations and the small businesses just need access to the cloud and the prime really needs to focus on the sub getting training to in, integrate into that cloud? It's never going to get that small business better. Understand that. And for small businesses, you're never going to grow. You're going to be in, you know, what I call the, 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 the loop of continual mediocrity, right? That the government is giving you enough substance, you know, we're providing you a solution, but you're never going to get good on your own. And if you're okay with that, peace. Okay, let me, but you're uh, never going to grow. Let me, uh, let me go a different way, right? I guess okay. I, I guess I semi-agree with you, but on the other hand, I don't. Because I'm to the point where um, enough is enough, right? There were as many, if not more, contractors that came to me, Katie, and I know they came to you, small contractors, small businesses that says it's about damn time because I take cybersecurity seriously. I've been doing it. So I've been at a cost disadvantage, right? And so... Um, and, and I will tell you, it, it's not only smalls, but it's larges. When I was at Cypress, before I went back in the Pentagon, there was one of our major contractors, uh, and it was the CEO that said, hey, I want to take cybersecurity seriously. And he called us in to help him, right? So there, the, 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 the I'm to the point where, it, it, yeah, it can't be, a, we were on the right path, right? But we were going to learn and we were going to make it a risk assessment. And I knew we were going to end up there. But I believe we need to start now and basically say you, the chances that you're going to get an award from the government if you don't do cybersecurity is not very high, right? And would have it be part of source selection from a risk assessment, not from a trade-off with cost schedule performance. 
as you know, industry that stays on the fence because they don't want their rates to go up is just not the kind of industry I want to be dealing with, right? I want to deal with people that understand the problem and are willing to invest. And we, the government, and I, I talked, as you know, I, even though I'm not in the government anymore, I always think I am, uh, stop giving them the credit they deserve. It's not, you know, we, we've been on this lowest price, technically acceptable crap for a long time. We need to start paying for what we really need. And I believe cybersecurity is one of them, right? Because um, as you know, that we had many of the real people that care that doing the right things that were saying, thank you, uh, because I was at a cost disadvantage because I was doing the right thing. I'm sick and tired of the people it cost me, right? It, it, that's why, it, it, and, and, I, and I've heard it, you won't get innovators. I don't believe that. Some of these that, that were coming to me were probably the most innovative companies we dealt with because they didn't want to lose their IP, right? As much as anything. So, Katie, I hear what you're saying. Yes, we should do all the things you said, but as you could tell, I'm to the point where we can keep put, pussyfooting around on all this stuff, but I believe every day we do it, we, we, you know, the Chinese are always behind us a little bit because they have to steal what we do, but they're getting less behind because they steal it faster, right? Kevin, I, I did that exact um, analogy, company A versus company B. You know, company A is doing all the right things. They've been doing the right things. Their rate's 180. Company B has said they've been doing the right things. They haven't, and their rate is 150. And company B gets, so you and I are speaking the same thing. So that that unto itself has you and I from being in, in the Pentagon and, and what we know in industry, you know, I'm, I'm on this, you know, channel of people in this conversation that are saying, you know, small business just can't get to 171. Okay. Well, why tell me what it is specifically that you can't do. And nobody's giving me an answer for, for five years. I've been looking for an answer. Tell me what it is. that's too damn hard. Yeah, because I told you when I got out um, this last time that when visiting some of our clients, there were a few of our clients that were small businesses that did do what they thought we were going to require. And now they were actually had done such a good job. They were going to make themselves available to other small businesses to house their, their information. You know what I mean? Almost offered yep. as a service, which is what you said earlier. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I, I firmly believe cybersecurity is a service and companies that come in and they bridge that gap. That was part of the whole deal. But we are, you know, we're in this loop of we've been talking and talking and talking. And, and you know, here we've gone on for an hour and 19 minutes talking and we have great ideas. We need leadership, right? True leadership that is willing to take a risk. And why, Lojo, I was so adamant that you bring Kevin on is because Kevin is a leader who took risk. Before we continue with this great conversation, I've got to tell you about our sponsor, BlackRock Engineering and Technology. BlackRock recently launched an innovative new solution, Chief Information Security Officer as a Service, or CISO as a Service. This solution is tailored to small and medium businesses that may not have the budget or understand the need for a Chief Information Security Officer. BlackRock Engineering and Technologies professionals have decades of experience. BlackRock will fill in the gap for your CISO needs at a fraction of the salary of a C-suite ex executive. For more information, check out our website at www.blackengtech.com. Now, back to the show. 
he embraced it. And out of this whole podcast series, right, that you're doing with me, and I'm, I'm so enjoying it, and I love talking about it. And every time we talk, it, it gets to leadership is, is the thing. In the great spitball war, leadership is key. In what we did in the Pentagon, in, in the time that I was able to work with Kevin, leadership was key. What Kevin was able to do when he was with the Army, leadership is key. Because leaders lead and they tell and they give the the good folks around them okay you need to get this done and i think if a lot of the executives at the large businesses the leaders said hey listen as painful as it's going to be for two years right implement and do if phoebe would say make this happen it it would be happening and i think leadership is what we're lacking and if we get leaders who can lead, understand risk, understand that it's not going to be 100% perfect out of the gate. That's okay. Peace, move forward. But talking and talking and talking and talking, which we do in the U.S. government more so than anything, and we don't resolve anything, um, you know, that's where we're, we're, we're getting our asses handed to us every single day. Um, and it's, it's, you know, and for the small business that's listening to this podcast and saying it's too hard, I just want you to know this little secret. There and and we talked, you know, about Lojo the or about the bunnies being in the farm. If you think the adversary isn't in your network right now today, and you're complaining, you're wrong. You're just dead wrong. And the adversary, and Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong. They sit there quietly. They absorb a lot of information. They're stealing not only your IP on what the DOD wants, but they're taking a whole bunch of data about your employees, who you're using in your supply chain, where you're looking to expand your government, because their role, their goal, the 100-year plan, Lojo, we talked about it in joking, you know, China's 100-year plan hasn't really changed any. Iran's capability to want to become a global domination as a threat factor hasn't changed. Russia's desire to own critical infrastructure and natural resources hasn't changed. What have we done differently? And, And they're moving out in a different path. So small business, what is it worth to you? What is your small business worth today? What are you willing to do instead of telling me what is what you can't do? What can you do? And let's work on that. I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just really frustrated because we, we have the tools. We have the capabilities. We have the resources. We just need to put them all together in the right pieces, in the right puzzle piece solution set to move forward. And we're still talking. We're not doing it. And, and Kevin, correct me if I'm wrong, because you, you always have told me, you know, eh. You're off base. I mean, companies like what you work with in Cyprus that are small businesses that are ready to go and say, hey, let me help the other small businesses. The other small businesses are just sitting there in wine mode. No, I need money. I can't do this. Well, what can't you do? Tell me what it is you can't do. Tell me. I, I, I want to help you. Yeah, first, I would say that you're, you're mostly right. Um, China's 100 year plan is probably now a 50 year plan because we've helped them way more than they expected us to. Um, by not doing the right stuff, right? So what they thought was going to take 100 years is probably now 50 years because 
everything we do here in the in the United States actually helps accelerate their hundred year plan. Um, I, you know what I would tell you that it's one of the, what kills me about it all, right? Is, is we got a lot of clients. And I told Katie, I was so excited when I got here, right? We have like 25 professionals. And we and, and uh, um, when I got here, we were we had done our CMMC assessment, and we're on the path to meeting all the requirements. We're all, you know, the whole bunch of and talk about small business, we are more, we're a small veteran owned, you know, uh, business and we're doing it and it's not that expensive right i mean to do the things you need to do when you're small when people it it would and, and my other point is when i go across our clients most of them are doing it most of them now are requiring us to have it right um and so what I, what I've got got to realize the same thing I said a little earlier. It's that small number of people that have been success. It's amazing to me that small number of people that don't care to get it and don't care to be cyber secure have been so damn successful for so damn long. Where the majority of the people who care about NASA security actually get it and know we should right. Um, so. So that's one of uh, probably the biggest frustrations, right? Uh, but I would tell you, you can go through, you know, what China's plans have been and everything that not only the Department of Defense, but the United States as a country has done, um, has done nothing but accelerate uh, their plan, right? I mean, it's almost like um, uh, we're on their team, right? And, and we better... Uh, we better, people better start waking up. I think people are starting to understand that, but I don't, we don't uh, do a whole of government stuff very well. So that's probably one of the things that uh, worries me. Um, I don't know, um, I, I guess if, if, if it's okay with you, I, I, um, I'd like to get a little bit off of this specific subject it is, as you know, a passionate and maybe get a little bit back to, um, how do we, how could we, what are the critical few things we could do to accelerate acquisition, knowing this cyber problem, you know what I mean? Yeah, let's go ahead. Go let's for go it. Into that. Yeah. 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 So my thing would be, right, um, I, I, I do believe that the policy and all the things we did is, is good to go, right? Um, I have seen, uh, you know, some things that bother me, like um, some of the things that we had delegated people, the idea of bringing them back is going to fix things um, is not right. Um, but if I was king for the day, right, I'd figure out a way to, to the, the department is really good at doing like 10 one-year plans, right, opposed to doing a 10-year plan right, is it's almost like every year they change their plan and it's such a poor plan that it changes so drastically that you waste a lot of money and you get nothing done, right? So, I mean, some of the things that I would do is I would do a better job of assessing what are my capability needs? When do I think I need that capability, right? Align a program, a cost and schedule with that, and have a decision point in the future that says, at this decision point, I'm gonna do an assessment of the requirement with the state of technology, with the cost and schedule, and I am going to make a decision, right? I'm not gonna do what I always do, is either don't believe the data, right? And then I, I, I'm, 
I'm, I'm chasing a shiny ball that I will never get so I don't deliver it and the program is terminated. Or I continue to kick the can down the road because I, you know, as you said earlier, Lo Joe, is I continually want 100% so I get nothing, right? So if I was king for a day, I'd start forcing the process where we have a 10-year pro program and there are decision points, right? And the decision points are going to align all those that I am going to get that 80% solution based on the state of technology and my cost and schedule that I think I need that capability. And making the decision to have executable, deliverable programs versus every year I reprogram and change my mind because I haven't done the due diligence and the analysis up front. Uh, it, there's a lot of programs across the Department of Defense, and I won't point out the specific ones, that do not have a lot of analytical foundation. They're more of, I want the next thing, right? I want the next boat or tank or, 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 or aircraft, uh, because I always do, where there may be things that, you know, there may be logistics things that are more important if you did it from a, how do I line my uh, mission analysis, right? What are my missions going to be based on completing the mission against my near peer adversaries? What are my capability needs and what time frame? And then line my decisions where I align the state of maturity to a cost and schedule versus I always want everything yesterday so I get nothing, right? Um, that, as if you look at it, a lot of what takes us time is our lack of ability to do, I, I, you know, and I'm passionate about this, is do the hard work that is, is, is related to acquisition, but not as in not necessary in the acquisitions lane, like the mission engineering, mission analysis, the, you know, the con ops, right? A lot of, I will tell you in some of my programs, my biggest obstacle was how do I integrate it with a soldier? Because no one had done that. Uh, and so when we get into the operational test, the thing worked exactly like the spec said, but nobody did the concept of operations on how they were going to use it. Right. So I'm big on acquisition ain't that hard if you align all the things and you make the damn decisions when you need to make them. And I am one of those believers is make no decision before it's time. But when you need to make a decision, you need to make it. And you can't keep we we like I said, we do. We do a 10-year program, but we do a program every year. We never do a, how do I, I do a, a plan of how I'm going to execute it over time. And, and we're horrible at it. If you look at the changes in our program year to year, um, it's sad, right? And, and a lot of it is not aligning the, the things that shouldn't be so hard to align if I did the due diligence. And I do believe, I do believe the state of the technology of digital engineering and some of the other modeling and simulation and model-based system engineering are of such, there's no reason we can't do it. And, and I'm a real believer, uh, you know, Katie pointed it out early, uh, 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 Bill LaPlante is a great guy. Uh, I can't think of a better person to be in that job. I am also a big fan of Heidi Shu, who's in the uh, uh, R&E job. Me too. And, 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 and I, I am, you know, some people don't know this, but I'm a huge fan of Frank Kendall. Um, I do believe in some instances, uh, I mean, he's so talented and he's a great acquisition guy. There's not a lot of people with the ability to do what he can do. So I am a believer that you have to be able to delegate uh, uh, types of things. But there's a lot of good people in the Pentagon 
that will work together if the administration would allow them to. That that's that's what I would say. So I'll I'll just say the one thing that Frank I digged on Frank because he did you know um, he broke up AT and L. Uh, John McCain made made Frank break up AT and L, and that was that was yesterday or or series two podcast that because two individuals couldn't work together cost the the country millions of dollars and and you sir Mr. Fahey, um copious amounts of hours of pain and agony having to cut your staff by thirty percent to do all that which was absolutely stupid um, and a lot of what Frank did was great. Um, I, the one thing that I'll say for Frank is smart man, don't disagree, but he, he complains, he complained, um, uh, you know, from the, uh, I would say the, the field when he was out of government about the CMMC and now he's the secretary of the air force. What are you doing to help us? You, you said there was, it wasn't the right way to go. Well, what is the right way to go? I, I would love to hear from him on that. Yeah, you know, and it's one of those things, uh, Ojo, you heard me say earlier, right? This, and I think Frank was one of them. There's a lot of people that think, you know, we should have put the certification in, in DCMA, right? I, I absolutely could support that concept, right? Uh, I just have no faith in the Department of Defense to resource Funding it, it. Right? And even if they resource it up front, I've seen them over and over again uh, nickel and dime organizations like D DCMA, um, we're to the point that they can't do the job that we have them doing, right? Um, that's why I thought it had to be a third party certifier and had to be driven by industry. I mean, I think it was Kitty's idea, but I was all on board uh, because I don't have, I mean, if you look at DCMA today, they're one of those organizations that pays us back and we continue to nickel and dime them, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it, it's a, uh, you know, and, and I think that was one of his things that should be internal to the government. I, I mean, I could support the concept of it. I just have no faith in the what one is, is, is our, if you know how to do this stuff, are you really going to work for the government? And two, um, I've seen us just nickel year after year. We have people come into the Pentagon, you know, because administrations change lack of understanding with the details of what's going on. And every one of them wants to find money to do their pet programs. And they tend to uh, do salami slicing. As you know, when you, when you slice a salami too often, it just does not, it just doesn't look like meat anymore, right? Yep. It, uh, it, 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 I just don't have faith in the Department of funding something and continuing to resource it is why. And, that, and Kevin, I, I so just uh, in episode one and two, I discussed, you know, in the very beginning, you know, uh, back then it was uh, Dave Lewis and uh, John Ellis that came and they said, well, we need a thousand cyber auditors. And I laughed at them. Do you remember that? And I, I came to you and said, Kevin, they want all this money for cyber auditors. And you said, you know, there's we had night court at that time. Mark Esper was pulling into night court, not a fan of the fourth estate. Right. And DCMA is considered part of the fourth estate and taking money. And DCMA is one of those institutions that actually makes money within the, in the DOD, um, shows how we can save money. But there, and the whole point of the CMMC and why we pushed it to be outside of the government is because, and I'll go back to the, you know, and this has been a very long podcast, you're gonna have to break it up into two parts somehow. Um, that when we talked about this, the reason we pushed so far to put it outside the government is because budgets being what they are, 
they're, you know, they're, they change every single year. There's no, you know, something has to stop in order to, for something to start. And if we could have put, you know, the, the idea of putting the CMMC outside of DCMA, we could get the best of the best because the industry creates the innovation, not the Department of Defense. We could commercialize it in that we could get them to commercialize it and go beyond just the DOD to reduce the cost. So the financial markets could use it. The, you know, the, the, the software industries could use it. The healthcare market could use a cyber certification that was put into the national cyber solarium. We needed a national cyber certification program to reduce risk across the board. If we held it in the DOD, that would have been bad. And we never would have been able to resource it because the, the, the challenging of hiring people within the Department of Defense and getting them on board and then budgets being what they are, you know, coming and, you know, you need to cut 20%. I mean, Kevin went through when he came in and he had to cut 30% of his people in, in A&F. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the whole purpose of why we, we, we thought put it in outside. And what's frustrating to me right now where I sit today and, you know, like I'm on all of these different chat channels and whatnot, like Discord and talking to the, you know, the CMM folks and talking to the accreditation body and, and talking to all these different bodies. Nobody's working to say, okay, we have this capability. We have the federal government coming up with 90 different ways to institute the same thing like DHS, you know, with their, their rule change, right? What is, what, what is this? We need to commercialize it and put it out there and just move forward with it and stop the, 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 bitching and complaining and the nonsense and let's just move forward so we can get on to the next problem because it's already here and we've spent five years arguing over the same problem that we started with and with acquisition the same thing you know kevin and and stacy cummings and chris o'donnell and you know my team there was um gosh there were so many people that worked on the adaptive acquisition framework to speed up acquisition let's do it um, what you and I, Lojo, talked about, and I said, you know, Nick Shalon was 100% spot on. And Kevin, you'll laugh if you listen to the episode. I actually compliment Nick Shalon. DevSecOps is brilliant. Kevin was a DAA. And when I talk about that, you know, Kevin was the DAA for the Army to assume risk. And why would a service, this is a whole nother um, conversation to have, right? The DAA is assuming the risk of another DAA if they're to do ATO reciprocity, right? If we're all using the same standards and requirements and, and whatnot on software, why shouldn't we have reciprocating? And especially if we're using containers, hardened containers that are in, you know, housed in, in a military cloud instantiation, why would a DAA be reluctant to use that that code, that that container in development of a capability in another service. Um, there, there's just so much that we that's so good out there. It's that we tend to, and I, I guess the, the whole thing of this is that we we tend to let risk. I didn't invent it here, and I'm not sure I can buy into that because it's not my idea. Um, get in the way of national security about working at the Department of Defense, because ultimately working at the Department of Defense, you work for the U.S. taxpayer and the ultimate person and why I, I, I absolutely fell madly, crazily in love with the leader that I had is that when he did the MRAP, 
Kevin exemplified all of that in this one statement. Congress wanted Kevin to field test the MRAP. The MRAP was a truck. He fought and said, listen, government, you're being stupid. We have people dying on the field. I will field test the truck in the field. If I need to change a rotor, I'll change the damn rotor. What I'm worried about is the, the, the armor and the protection and the capability of comms while it's out there. Let's make sure that works. And the other silly stuff, let's not. Gosh, we need that. And Kevin, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to sum up a, a, a whole almost two-hour conversation and saying to you, if I haven't said it enough in my lifetime, you are one of the greatest leaders we ever had. And things like that, bold moves, assuming risk, saved lives. Yeah. Yeah, just and at the me, end uh, of this, yeah. So that's a good example where I talk about aligning requirements, right? So the MRAP was successful for a lot of the reasons you heard me say how programs can be successful. And, and the if you go back and look at the timing between the requirement and fielding, it was you know, requirement was, uh, uh, I think, uh, like June or something. We fielded it before the end of the year. We fielded a lot of them. It's because our requirement was really, like Katie said, it was a survivable truck. All the other things that I normally would have tested for two years were were waverable, right? We blew them up. And if, if the soldiers inside or the Marines or, I mean, every service used them would survive, we would field it. Like Katie said, if there was bump stops and stuff like that we had to fix in the field, we would fix them in the field. But everybody was online with it, right? So I could get decisions, right? Actually, the Marine Corps was in charge. I was sort of... Uh, you know, it was almost like I was support to the PM because 80% of the people work for me. Um, but the requirement was give the field a survivable truck and every other requirement was waivable. You know, so the, the other thing I would add, right, is when you, and I'll just say this. So, you know, one of the things that I think Katie asked was, you know, what is my leadership style? And, and, and what I'll tell you what I think is important to a successful organization, and then you could decide what ex actually exists in the Department of Defense or not, right? First and foremost is I'm one of those lead by example, never ask anybody to do anything you're not willing to do, right? Um, the other is, uh, and I'm, Katie's one of these people, surround yourself with the right people and trust them, right? Is when you hire the people, tell them what their job is and let them go do good things. And, and you ask good open-ended questions, not yes and no questions. You ask them to make sure that they are thinking through the problems. And if, if, if they're thinking through the problems, even if they're gonna do what you wouldn't do, you support them, right? Um, uh, the other is, you know, you, you, you're, you're as much of a mentor and a coach as you are a leader, right? As you, you, need, you need to help people get their job done. Um, and inspire. And, and to me, you, you inspire various ways. Most important one is you create the environment for this to be successful. Katie talks about it. I felt like Miss Lord gave me complete authority to do whatever I want. And I tried to give my people complete authority. I am one of these trust is everything. If you break my trust. Uh, it, and I think a lot of people like that, you know, but I'm also a trust, but verify, you know, it's one of those and God we trust, but it, all others bring data. Um, and then the other is, you know, just force your people to do the critical thinking, right? Don't tell them 
uh, how to do their job, right? Tell them what their job is and then ask them the hard questions, but hold them. You know, I'm one of those big things of you delegate authority, responsibility, and accountable, and you hold people accountable. It's amazing the innovation you'll get. And I think, as you know, there's, uh, if you could think through those and you could argue about where the, where the Department of Defense has trouble with that. Uh, in a lot of instances, you know, uh, there's very, there's a reluctance to delegate authority, responsibility, and trust people will do the right thing. You know, and and it is, you know, and I will say this, right? Uh, Congress gives the Department of Defense a lot of crap, right, about a lot of stuff, but Congress doesn't trust the Department of Defense either, right? And uh, I, I, you know, one thing I was going to mention, but I forgot, right, is I probably spent. 50 freaking percent of my time answering reports that were in the National Defense Authorization Act every year. And so you think about, you know, we got crap about how thick our RFPs are and how thick this is and how much paperwork we have. But every year I got somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 page National Defense Authorization Act that told me how to do my job, right? Um, so it would give you a little idea of, you know, the, the people that say we're bureaucratic uh, could be as bureaucratic as we were. Um, that's pr probably how I'd end. <laughs> awesome. Hey, so I think one of the things that uh, our, our listeners should really, really take home right now is that, as you can see, both Kevin and Katie continue to speak as stakeholders in the government, right? Right now, there is... Uh, an accountability about you guys, as well as an ownership of the things that uh, that you wanted to do, the things that are occurring now, and I think also a compassion and empathy for the folks that are now in the positions that have to make the decisions that you guys were uh, were making as well. There, um, so when you talk about things like why did you make the decision to go to an independent AD, right? Um, there's reasons and stuff behind that. You've seen successful models in that and how that works as far as with those boards that are uh, worked with industry and stuff too, and as a consortium and stuff on that. And so one of the things I just want to make sure to convey is one, a thank you, because looking at our national defense, looking at our uh, own capability as a U.S. Uh, and protecting our citizens, protecting our homeland as well there. Um, one of the things we forget is that there are a lot of competent people who are trying to work through the best processes, the best, um, you know, organizational means and capabilities that we have in order to accomplish that goal. And we may disagree at times about what was the approach, what was the tactic on it, but at the end, you guys are on the same mission as everybody else that's there. And so with that, I take my hats off to you guys. I thank you. I think you guys both patriots and stuff on that. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the, uh, the things I like to say here on our on our uh, on our podcast is that you guys have been essential as far as us being safe and secure in the U.S. and trying to further that. So thank you guys. Appreciate it. Oh, Thanks, no problem. And thank you for having us both. And uh, I look forward to our next episode. That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. We want to thank Katie Errington for coming on with us today. We have given Katie a platform to give our audience her unfiltered perspective. If you want to help us out, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a, leave a review. 
That's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. We want to thank Katie Arrington for coming on with us today. We have given Katie a platform to give our audience their unfiltered perspective. If you want to help us out, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. If you want to see updates on the series and more content, follow our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube pages. If you have questions for Katie or want to come on the show, you can send us an email at officiallojoshow at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. We will be releasing a new episode in this series every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We hope you are as excited as we are. With that, we will say goodbye, have a great week, stay safe, and stay secure.